Hey friends, yo, this episode right here is fire. And I know I say it all the time. And I know that I say that I say it all the time. But when I have great interviews like this, I don't know what else I gotta tell you. But it's true. Now today, we got my man, John Markowski, who is the head evangelist of the Big Apple Church in the New York City Church of Christ. And now we talk about racism in the church. We talk about a Christian's response to the pandemic. We talk about people talking slick over social media and how are we gonna act when we come back in person. It's a great episode if you wanna be convicted or if you just wanna hear some good, innocent, clean tea. <laughs> Let's go! What? Be quiet, you got all the material. What's up, Ike? Thanks so much for producing. I don't think we met before. Oh yeah, he he gave me um, really simple questions like, how do we solve racism in the church? And and then and then I reminded him I was white and uh, I don't I don't really know how we're gonna have this conversation. Oh. Yo, <laughs> wait, we're, you, we're recording this. This is bad. This is oh, bad. this this is the no, beautiful no. part. That was no, a. No. <laughs> no, you actually, definitely have to be, take that out. That was gonna be one of my intro jokes. I was like, okay, I, we have such a simple topic like John Markowski is gonna solve racism in the church. Oh great, great. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. All right, I'm gonna hit the timer. And uh, we're going to just start rolling. All right. Yo, John, thank you so much for being here, bro. Pleasure. It's great to see you, Hugo. Man, um, so just, you know, just to set the vibe, this is just like, you know, we're vibing, having a conversation. You know, um, I know you're, you're great with your sermons. Uh, I want it to feel like like it's not that, though. Okay. All right. No sermons. No sermons. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, it's... Uh, I do want to hear a part of one sermon that you did before that was so tight when it came to <laughs> Christians and the churches, right? But we're not going gonna to touch that yet. Okay. So the reason I ask you here, a couple of reasons. One, you are a minister in New York City during a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. Yes. And what made that even worse was that we had this crazy groundswell of I don't even know what to call it because not a groundswell of racism it's always been there but it it really hit a fever pitch last year this year and um man when when I would watch you speak to it you know I legit felt like man this brother he sees us like this brother sees what we've been saying. And a lot of times we weren't, you know, we weren't, well, I don't think I was seeing that from a lot of people because maybe a lot of our white brothers and sisters just, you know, um, didn't know how to talk about it or didn't yeah. see it, you know. Um, and I mistakenly dived into the heavy topic too soon, but we're here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you have you have a, a gift of being able to package really deep, serious stuff in a lighthearted way, don't you? Uh, that's all right. That's all right. It's, yeah, but, it's, it's good. Yeah. What was it like though? When because I remember when you did one of those sermons, um, one of those because you I feel like you did many. I feel like when there was like a big incident, they bring out John. Like, John, you're our crisis speaker. <laughs> Yo, what is it like preparing a message as a Jewish brother to speak to your black brothers and sisters when, yeah. when such trauma is happening? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big question. First of all, I'm grateful to be here and and just to 
to encourage, uh, as your listeners are already doing, your watchers are already doing, to continue talking about uh, these very important issues. And and to me, that's something that lies at the heart of all this, right? That this this is one of those issues, uh, racism in the church, uh, racism's intersection with the church, that if we don't talk about it and uh, muted voices continue to be silent, then we never grow. Um, so to me, half the battle is just having conversations about it. Uh, as far as preparing sermons, that, that's, a, <laughs> that's a tough one. I mean, you know, I remember in uh, July 2020, they had asked me to do the July 4th Independence Day message. And, you know, as, as you know, our fellowship of churches here in New York is about 3,000 people. And, you know, so there was a lot of people looking and there was a lot of um, intense conversations happening uh, in the month of June in reaction to uh, the George Floyd murder and, and many other things that had been building up um, for years, really, uh, I think, in our fellowship of churches, but especially in those couple of months. So I was confronted with the, the delicate tightrope uh, balancing act of trying to make sure that I'm not violating my own conscience and that mm. I'm sharing what I think the Bible says uh, and how to interpret that to a big group of people. Uh, but at the same time, recognizing that this was a hot button issue that could easily uh, go either way. And th the way it turned out is, you know, I, I really, that particular message I focus on being a citizen of heaven and what that looks like and, and not as a, a sidestep to not talking about, um, racial issues. We, we talked about that also in, in the message, but to, to raise our eyes to, to a godly perspective. And I tell you, as, as we predicted, you know, there were people that really hated it and, and people mm -hmm. that really got a lot out of it and, and appreciated it. And I just think that's the nature of the beast. It's such a polarizing mm -hmm. issue. Um, but I guess, you know, in, in kind of answering your question, my, my hope is that we just keep talking. Uh, mm. Got to keep chatting, got to keep talking, got to keep um, sharing our interpretations of Scripture with each other uh, as we go through this very challenging time. And it was a double whammy, everything happening as we were already in quarantine, already in isolation, already feeling like a lot of pent up stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then and then we get caught with our pants down as a fellowship of churches, not only because we're not meeting in person anymore and, we, you know, we're developing new processes on how the church is even supposed to work. And, and then, you know, the dealing with the virus and the de dealing with, with justice issues, uh, it really caught us. Um, and I say us as sort of the, the church fellowship, the leadership of the church uh, by surprise. So, yeah, I, I definitely don't consider myself the, the chosen one or the poster <laughs> child or I don't, I don't have the language. But I guess, I guess one other thing I'll throw in there, and I'm really grateful to the, the local ministry that I'm a part of in Manhattan because for the last few years, we have been talking very publicly about race mm. and how it, how it intersects with the church. And we've been introducing resources and books and, um, and videos to the church for, for several years to try to help us to develop a language so that, that we could talk to each other about it, really. That, so that was helpful, very helpful. Uh, we did about eight or nine midweek services in, in the summer, specifically focused on racism um, and, uh, and also our church community. You know, we're, we're a church in the, in the greater area of New York, as you know, um, you know, of 3,000 people, and it's, it's every area of that church. It has a different demographic makeup, racial makeup. In Manhattan, 
it's it's also um, sort of its own unique thing. We've got around 30 percent um, white, 30 percent black, 30 percent Latino, and then 10 percent Asian and, and a few others thrown in there. Wow. Uh, so it's it's quite mixed. Um, it's uh, I love it. I love that that it's mixed like that. Um, but it did mean that we were going to have a lot of people on different sides and we were going to need to speak directly into it. And if we didn't, there was going to be talks and there's going to be social media posts anyways. So, <laughs> so we're like, we better try to cultivate some language around this or is, it's going to be bad. So I don't know. that. I don't know if that answered your question. Maybe I answered it three different ways. I'm not sure. No, that's good. You know, um, how are things different now in the age of social media when it comes to talking about issues going on within the church? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that it it amplifies um, whatever was being discussed, if you compare it maybe to being in person uh, versus social media, the amplification, the amount of people mm-hmm. that are now privy to what might have been an intimate conversation between two people, um, that changes the discussion. Yeah. Uh, now, now, it's interesting, right? Like, I would not have this discussion with you knowing I'm being videotaped in my PJs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't just wake up with, you know, my hair all over the place, my my Jufro, uh, and, and, you know, I, I would, I would come, you know, I try to be in my right mind, try to, try to be prepared. It's funny because we, we post on social media in our PJs, uh, when we're in very casual and comfortable situations. And so it's easy to post casually when we're in a casual state of mind, when you're, in a professional state of mind or a spiritual state of mind, when you're in church, chances are your the things you say uh, are going to be um, the content and the delivery might be different than when you're just chilling in your living room. So I do think context is very important for how we have our discussions, and social media I think is an amplifier. It can be great, uh, you know. I I think uh, we try to leverage social media in the church. Uh, for for positive news and for spreading the gospel truth uh, the way we see it. Uh, but obviously it can also be used to troll and to divide and, mm. and, and, a, and a lot of things like that. And, you know, I never thought about it like that. Like when you post in a more casual, I'm in my living room, I'm in my home, I'm in my home where I can shoot off at the hip. But it's right. like, uh, when you realize everyone is seeing it, it, yep. it, it changes it. And now I'm about to go delete my Facebook from my phone. <laughs> <laughs> we have one guy in the church. He is the, the quietest guy. I mean, you know, I've known him for years. He shows up to church. Very respectful guy. Very quiet. Doesn't say a word. All right. And here we are in Virch Church, right? Virtual church world. <laughs> and this dude is saying more than anybody. I mean, he is, He's got all kinds of stuff to say. And I'm like, wow, I'd never really heard him say stuff before. This is great, you know, but it, again, it's, you know, different people uh, are going to respond to different uh, communicative formats. So it's yeah. very interesting. Yo, you know, it's kind of like the creation of the Roman roads where they yeah. they created these new pathways to get to places a lot quicker. Um, but what things, but good things can go and so can bad things. You know, so just having me think about that. But since you mentioned social media, I was thinking about this one thing, right? Like you talked about people being more comfortable saying things they may not have said 
next to, you know, their brother or sister in church, but you say it on social media, where like you, we were seeing a lot of people maintaining certain kind of views about racism that were new to us, to me as the black male. I was like, oh, I had no idea you felt this way. Like I know, I knew you for 10 years. And it's like, my question I constantly ask myself and my friends is like, when we come back to in person, mm. what is gonna happen? Yeah, yeah, that's real. <laughs> Are you asking me or is that rhetorical? <laughs> bro, I don't know, what does that look like? Come on, help me out, bro. It's All right. time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, okay, obviously as a minister, this is my job, so I've been spending many hours thinking about this, praying about this, talking to people about this. We've been doing surveys in our ministry to ask them what they're ready for. And probably in July and August, we're going to do a whole series at our midweek services uh, talking about uh, koinonia, you know, our fellowship and what the scripture teaches us about how to engage in fellowship with one another. It's like a muscle Ugo is all about getting to the gym and working those muscles, right? And you got to take care of the body. Physical training is of some value. The scriptures do say that. Um, but this is a muscle that we have atrophied, right? Like in the church, mm. we, we and especially in our fellowship of churches, we love fellowship. I mean, I'll never forget, I think, I think it was like two years ago, pre-COVID, I see you walking down, was it 6th Avenue, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or you see me, right? You stop me. And, and you like, and and there's a there's something that happens right there's some mm. magic that takes place when you see someone that you care for and you haven't seen them in a long time and there's a hug and all the oxytocin is flowing and <laughs> it's awesome right and 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 we had a great hug right in the middle of the street and everyone's like what is going on here um <laughs> but but you know the, we sort of we've atrophied we haven't worked out that muscle for a year and a half and so mm. what we're trying to do in our local ministry is to teach on what does that look like again how are we going to come back one of those lessons is going to be all about judgment, all right? Um, we have to get deep into what judgment is, what it means, um, how to have discretion in treating uh, the relationships that we have with our brothers and sisters. And if, if some folks haven't been vaccinated and some folks are not ready to come back and some folks have posted certain things, I mean, there are a lot, there's a lot to choose from. It is, it's going to be a, a target rich environment if, some, if, some, if someone's ready to, 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 you know, shoot some, some stuff out there, you know. So I think, uh, I think we, we're doing our best to try to ramp up to that. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it is going to be a real change of pace. And as you know, when you go back to the gym and you hit something that you haven't hit in a while, there's going to be some soreness too. <laughs> so, so I imagine that there's going to be sort of a, a clumsy road back to mm. normalcy, but you know, maybe normalcy is, is, is not what we remember. It's going to be a new normal. And I think hybrid church is going to be a thing. Uh, we, we took a, a poll, uh, what people want and, you know, most most of uh, most of them, I, I, we have all the numbers and everything in the stats, but they like the idea of having certain things still um, online and, mm. you know, on Zoom. And they like other things, especially Sunday. Overwhelmingly, they they really are are craving to be back in that, you know, live setting. Um, most most of them. So, yeah, yeah I, I think it's going to be there's going to be it's going to be a bumpy ride, but it'll be a fun adventure together. Yeah, you know that that's that's a great perspective because um I know a lot of people 
I know some people, you know, you get comfortable into your routine of not being in church. Like on Sunday, you know, we haven't done that in over, what, 15 months? Yep. yep. Which is, just thinking about it is, that's, like, yeah. I, I was at a wedding. Oh, a, a wedding with disciples in Brooklyn, from Brooklyn. And I started getting, like, social anxiety because I just hadn't been around. I hadn't been at a party, you know? And I didn't, like, Ugh. and I'm a social guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be. So I, I don't know. How do you. How do you think? How do you suggest people start easing back into this? Ooh, yeah, and that's a heavy I, question for you too. I'm sorry. No, no. I, I, I mean, it's like what we've been talking about. These are things we have to consider. Um, going back to sort of the scriptural concept, I, I do believe we're going to have to be patient with one another. There are going to be people that make decisions that other folks might not understand. Um, there might be reasons that just are different contexts, and so they're not going to make sense to people. And I think we really need to be patient. I'm I'm thinking this is going to take months and months to very slowly ramp back into our capacity, our in-person hmm. meetings. It's just going to feel different. So I think one thing I'm trying to do is take some time to uh, to reflect on these last 15 months. I, I think one of the mistakes we might make um, if we're not considering uh, the, you know, the loss and the trauma mm. that people have experienced is that we too quickly jump into celebration mode. And, and trust me, there is going to be celebration mode. I mean, I, I can't wait to be back and to be singing and hugging and all that. Um, but I think it would be a mistake not to first lament the losses uh, to to mourn and grieve those that we lost. We had uh, two women in our fellowship in Manhattan that lost mom and dad in the same week to COVID. And so you're, you're not just talking about losing a mom, losing a dad, losing both. And we've had several parents lost uh, due to COVID. Uh, we have a brother in our ministry who uh, works with funeral homes and with hospitals and with morgues, he's like a middleman, and he does all kinds of things with that. He's an amazing guy. And at one point, um, I want to say maybe it was May or June, he says he, he was driving all night uh, bodies from the hospital to the, the, the crematoriums that they had set up because all the crematoriums that are typically, and, and you know, you're in the medical world, they were packed, and so they were making temporary sort of... Um, you know, uh, makeshift crematoriums. And he was lugging himself 50 bodies a night. And so I, I don't want to oh. too quickly, I don't want to too quickly, you know, move, move into celebration mode because that will be hard for those that have had those severe losses. So I think for me, I'm thinking lamentation, hmm. examination, reflection, then celebration. I, I don't want to skip steps. Uh, it's going to be difficult as it is to bring everybody through this together, uh, as we've already been learning virtually the last you know 15 months. But mm -hmm. um, that's what we're hoping to do. So I think generally to answer your question, let's do it slowly. Let's do it with patience. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, the Jews have a a thing that we do called sitting Shiva, where Shiva is seven days, and uh, you know you mourn together. You sometimes literally sit on the ground. And with those who are mourning for those seven days and, you know, you eat and you share and you pray. And um, 
sometimes it's time for silence uh, yeah. and, and just meditation, just to let someone know that you're with them as we collectively work through this trauma. So I know that that's a little bit of what we're thinking. We haven't laid out all the plans yet, but uh, I, I just don't, I, in my spirit, I don't want to skip steps, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that, that definitely does. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I know as, as ministers, a lot of times you guys get called, um, you know, to either bedsides or come to even sit shiva with, you know, the congregants. What was that like for you during COVID? Because I presume you weren't able to see people in person. No, no, it, it was sad. I mean, we spent a lot of time on the phone, a lot of time, you know, video conferencing people. Um, people like the ones I mentioned couldn't even go to the deathbeds um, of their family members. I mean, they couldn't say goodbye in person. Uh, you know, nurses were holding FaceTime phones to help. Their, it, it was just, and I hate to drudge all that back. Even now, it makes me feel so sad. It, and mm. and yet, at the same time, uh, even though I personally didn't lose a loved one, I, I can't I can't ignore the fact that there are people, my brothers and sisters, people I'm close to, mm. that are thinking about that loss every single day. And so, again, you know, I, I don't I don't want to move too fast. But yeah, I think. Um, as a minister, you get those phone calls. Uh, that's that's part of what we do. We we try our best to counsel, try our best to pray. Um, but it was a lot of, of stuff on the phone. Um, uh, these uh, these AirPods have been in my ear. It seems like for 15 months. I mean, you know, it's like I have worn these guys out. Uh, there's nothing left. Uh, I can't believe they're, st they're still working. My my. Uh, my chair, this chair that I sat in, my, I mean, if my butt wasn't imprinted, it, it is definitely like completely perfect imprint uh, of my, my hind, my, my hind self. So anyway, it, it's just, I feel like I've been in this chair for a year and a half. It, it's been crazy. What is, I know that the healers also need healing. The ministers need ministering, if that's a word. How are you also processing some of all of this that you're dealing with as a leader? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, absolutely. Ministers need ministering, too. It's I think the last stats I saw, um, it's probably got some of the worst retention of any job uh, wow. in the U.S. The turnover is uh, crazy. It's like. I don't even know months. Uh, people, a lot, a lot of people are like, "No thanks." <laughs> Tried it for a minute and uh, try something else. Um, and, and yeah, this is the reason why uh, it. You know, you take on, you take on trauma. It's part of what you do. It's part of what Jesus did. You know, as a spiritual empath, uh, you you are taking on um, the trauma of others. Oftentimes, people will say, "Well, a minister's like a doctor. You need to be on call all the time." I think that could be true. Uh, I think the doctor probably has done a good job trying to separate out the the part of her that feels empathetic to a patient and the part of her that just needs to, you know, do that surgery or you know, like mm -hmm. at some level there there needs to be a separation for optimum functionality. Mm -hmm. The issue with with ministry and and this is just my opinion is that you cannot separate. Uh, those two for for functionality to function um, at a high level, hopefully like what what Jesus did and set an example for us. 
means that I need to carry my empathy into situations with me and not leave it at the door uh, and continue to to work and speak into uh, how I feel uh, if I'm putting myself in someone else's shoes. So Jesus wept, you know, he he felt the pain. He reached out and touched. He, he could have easily, you know, waved his finger and did a little Harry Potter, you know, magic wand trick and healed people. But so often he's making physical contact. And, and there's, there's a lot to be said for that. We don't have time to get into all the, you know, intricacies of, of the scriptures and the gospels that talk about that, but he's certainly making a connection in most of those cases. And um, so, yeah, as a minister, we, we feel that we have to feel that. Um, you go to bed with that, um, you pray about it, you, you do your best to deal with your own trauma. Uh, we've we've uh, witnessed uh, several uh, divorces of close friends and people we know over, over COVID. So we ourselves personally, even people that are outside the church, are feeling the pressure, um, mm. feeling the isolation. You know, you're, you're maybe not used to being around a spouse 24 seven, right? And now you're managing, especially in a small New York City apartment, how to, how to split time and fight for bandwidth. And you know, so before COVID, you're like, yeah, it was good. I left the house at seven in the morning. I came back at six at night and I miss my wife. I miss yeah. my husband, you know, it was yeah, great yeah. To, to, to get back together. And now it's like, I need to get out. <laughs> like, I need a break. How do I do this? You know, um, so I, I have to really, say thank you to my wife. I mean, Arlene has probably been the reason I've stayed sane the last 15 months. I mean, mm-hmm. we have we have been able to counsel one another and, and pray with one another and comfort one another in the trauma. And so, you know, I, I think without her uh, as my partner in all of this, I, I don't know where I'd be. So that that's a big part of of this. I also think I had to be really aggressive about initiating with with other folks that are in my life mm-hmm. um, even early on when it became safe I, I would meet one of our elders um, in central park pretty much every week and we would just walk in circles uh miles um six feet apart with our masks on uh, early <laughs> on and it was weird at first but i i needed that i became <clears throat> really like dependent on that time because i was sort of bearing my soul uh, as you said the minister getting ministered to. So that, that, those two people I, I have to thank, um, yeah. Al, ba- Al Baker and Arlene Markowski. Shouts out to Al and shouts out to yeah. Nate. Uh, <laughs> um, what does that pressure feel like? Uh, because you are the Manhattan ministry in the New York City Church of Christ, in my eye, and like no pun intended, it's like the, it's like the apple of, uh, apple of the eye of the New York City Church because it's Manhattan. Like it has to be though. Do you know what I'm saying? Because Manhattan is it's New York City. Okay. That <laughs> Dude, what is that what like what is that pressure like though? Um uh, if you could just like get the you know, remove the veil from you see the minister up there speaking or you see them on screen. The minister's a person though. Like what does that feel like? If that if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean uh, it's pressure. Uh, even now, as you, as you talk about it, you know, I could feel the pressure. I, I think for me, I have to parse out, okay, what, are, what are the spiritual pressures? What are the cultural pressures? Right? So maybe there's, maybe there's a social cultural pressure that Manhattan is, is a center point, uh, in the boroughs and in, in the metropolitan area. And 
I think I don't want to take issue with your question too much, but we have we have done work. Please take issue. Please take issue. We, we have okay. <laughs> we have done work. We have done work in Manhattan in our fellowship to try to unlearn some of the toxic social pressure that's mm. been put on them to feel like they have to perform in a certain way because sort of all eyes are on what's going to happen from Manhattan, and instead mm. just be like, look, we're just a ministry. We're regular people trying to figure it out. We're, we're not going to we're not going to fall into this. We need to be spotlighted thing. We're not better than anybody. So we, we had to work hard to unlearn some of the spotlight that traditionally have been put on uh, the, the Manhattan ministry for good and bad reason. You know, I, I think I'm not going to clump it all together. But um, in our experience dealing with the local church, we really just needed to wrap our arms around where we were at, the, the specific issues we were going through and try to block out in, in a sense some of those extra pressures that maybe were traditionally felt. Um, so, so hopefully that makes sense. I think spiritually, there is spiritual pressure, right? When we read scriptures that challenge us to be a certain way, to deny ourselves, to carry our cross daily, uh, those are pressures we should feel and we have mm -hmm. to navigate together. And so we, we generally talk more about that than we do uh, really addressing any of um, the, the social pressures that might be there um, that we worked hard to try to to try to push out of, uh, you know, our our spiritual bubble. That's actually I'm glad you actually took issue with that question because it it shed a light and a viewpoint that I didn't have. You know, it kind of makes me it reminds me of the conversations I had with um, Naomi Rain and Aaron Moses from Maverick City Music, where like as their music is blowing up, their careers are taking off. I was asking, like, what about these pressures, you know? And it's like, they, they, there's like this, they, they both kind of talked about just focusing on what you're doing and not, you know, the outside pressures, the outside eyes, because people are often waiting for someone to fall. You know, they build you up just so they can, you know, watch you fall. And, um, and I, I was just thinking too, the other day, like, like, not letting success or that limelight get to your head, though that is difficult, I presume. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we've had so many challenges um, in our ministry experience these last 11 years in the Big Apple that I think God has made sure that our heads don't get big. <laughs> um and and I, I we love the work. We love being here. We love the people. Uh, we love all of New York, uh, but we particularly feel the the tractor beam of love to 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 the Big Apple and and specifically Manhattan. Um, but yeah, I I think I think in general we we've tried to adopt more of a, a teammate mentality. I mean, maybe maybe the analogy is the Knicks, right? Uh, the Knicks have had a lot of pressure on them and a very high pressure NBA market to perform. And it's been hard, right? There's been years, there's been a lot of changes at, at many different levels of organizational leadership. Um, and they made the playoffs this year and wow, were the fans going nuts or what? I mean, they were like, first time back in MSG, vaccinated, no mask, uh, jerseys, high fiving. I mean, yeah. it was it was wild. I wasn't there, but I was watching on TV. Like, this is crazy. They're just, it's wild. Um, but anyway, it was exciting to see them go to the playoffs. But for years, they had felt a pressure, and it's like, what do you do as a coach? You have to tell them, look, block out that that mm -hmm. that noise and focus on being a basketball team. And then I think it 
probably helps that the Nets came in and it sort of takes the focus off a little bit. And now there's two teams and now they've got all these superstars over there. We just need to play our game. And I think if we're part of the body of Christ, even individually, I've got to do what I, I'm running my own race, right? Mm. The race marked out for me. It's it's not the Bronx's race or, or, you know, Brooklyn's race. These are all amazing ministries and incredible boroughs and have unique, incredible benefits of, of being in those places and being part of those cultures. Uh, we are just one of uh, many teams, right? Um, mm. Playing plan in this case, not against each other, but, but for each other. Yeah. Um, to slightly step back to a subject that we were just talking about, I remember we were at a, a singles edge service and you talked about how Christians help establish the first hospitals, mm. you know, and, yeah. um, and, uh, now, it, it, it allowed me to think about how, in that sense, Christians helped set culture and set world changes. Mm. You know, um, can first, can, can we hear a little about that, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's a very exciting thing for me to talk about. And, you know, whenever it was that that I was reading and, and saw how clearly um, the Christian movement shaped culture, but also uh, just made incredible impact in helping people, just the intrinsic value of helping people like that no one could argue with. I thought, man, we really need to to tie back into these roots. And I mean, you know, the, the easy history is that plagues were ripping through uh, the Greco-Roman world, uh, you know, second, third century, especially. And, you know, there was a time where the moral compass was very vague for the Greco-Roman world. And, you know, it depends on the, the emperor, I think, that was in charge about how much pagan worship or, you know, how much, uh, you know, Zeus fanboy, you know, is, is going to spread in the in the public eye. Um, and, and sometimes it just go through incredibly, um, for lack of a better term, secular, godless, you know, I, there's a whole history there. And I'm not an expert in Roman history, but from what I've read, it got so bad with the plagues that family members would just leave their family members behind to die. There, there wasn't a plan. And it was like, if I stay, I'll get sick and then we all die. And so mom was sick. And if you, you touch her, you're going to catch it. And so we're out. And so you left everything behind, your possessions, your home and your loved ones. And, and there's a lot of, of writing that records the these terrible situations and the bottom line is the christians uh after several generations after jesus still had the conviction that we show hospitality that we love that we love even at the risk of ourselves being hurt or in this case catching a disease and so the christians would stay behind and it was it was well documented uh, they would take care of the sick and often they would be infected and they would die as well. But the impact, uh, the hospitality groups, which eventually, you know, we would call hospitals, uh, grew and grew and grew. And really by, by 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea, every time a new church was set up, they also set up a, a hospital. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's where really the concept of civilian health care uh, came from. I mean, the modern hospital... I would say traces back to the teaching of Jesus. And so it's, it's very powerful history. I was reading recently, 
um, about uh, one of the the emperors, Emperor Julian. He was so mad because this is like um, I want to say maybe a century later. I can't remember, but uh, Julian is so angry that the Christians are doing more for their people than they are, that he's mm. writing letters and saying they're making us look bad. You know, <laughs> I mean, like, like they, they're showing more benevolence to strangers and showing more uh, moral fortitude and moral character than we are, and it's putting us to shame. And so there's these documents that float around in history you find from time to time, and you go, wow, that is the impact that Christianity was having in that situation, not even because of a particular doctrine or baptism or whatever. It was because they were risking their own lives to take care of those that weren't part of the church. They're just their neighbors, you know, being wow. neighbors. Wow. That is uh, challenging. Like it's so inspiring that it's challenging because oh, yeah. now where I feel like sometimes I, I worry that Western American Christianity looks so different from that story. You know, if I, if I can generalize here, you know, and I sometimes wonder, like, I make sure I actively try to do my research to see what the gospel and what, being like Jesus looks like, like carrying it out, because we're talking about these people who are risking their lives. You know, they're, so if you're risking your life for somebody, you're not saying, well, I'm not going to risk it for you because you're this color or you're this sexual orientation or you're this or you have this amount of money. No, I'm just loving my neighbor. And now I'm like looking at, I'm looking now here and like, does it even look like that anymore? Hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a powerful comment. I mean, I think it is the beauty of the true Christian message. And I, I liken it to the discussion around the phrase colorblind versus color brave. Mm. And and perhaps there's this, you know, this discussion happening in, in the last several years about how for a long time colorblind was a good thing, right? You, you don't see color and therefore there was sort of this equal treatment. That was the idea. And then there was this, this counter narrative of, well, colorblind doesn't necessarily celebrate diversity. It, it, it wants to um, paint it with the same brush so that we don't have to deal with the differences. And so color brave became, you know, I, I guess in some discursive circles, a replacement phrase and I like that because I feel like the Christians of the second third century that we're talking about uh, were very much color brave that that they were they were stepping into difference unafraid of difference celebrating difference and we know that also from even in the scriptures in Acts chapter 2 I, I love um, Acts chapter 2 and, and Pentecost what happens there as people are coming from all over the known civilized world uh, into Jerusalem to celebrate a Jewish holiday, but then God turns that into this whole transformative and collective experience. And and even me as a, as a preacher, I remember years ago, I have to confess, I would preach like Pentecost was the the answer to the problem of, of the Tower of Babel. Because if you go back to the Tower of Babel, there was this singular language, everybody understood each other, but they used it for bad, right? They were trying to make a name for themselves. So they build this tower and try to compete with God and God says no. And you know, everything comes down and the languages are separated. And I, I would sort of say, well, and isn't it cool that in Acts chapter two, you know, with the, the, the spirits leading, 
they were all able to hear their languages in their own tongue and they were able to hear, you know, the, this message of Christ and it's the reverse of Babel. The thing that I missed, and I think it's really important, it, it might not necessarily be a subtle miss, but a big one. And that is Pentecost wasn't a return to singularity. It was a celebration of multiplicity. It didn't return to one language. It, it returned to unity, but unity for God's name in different languages, in different cultures, in different locations. And so to me, that, that kind of expresses a, a scriptural uh, version of what color brave versus colorblind might look like. And so, yeah, I mean, going back to these histories of the Christians um, stepping into difference, I mean, this is the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan yeah, steps yeah. into difference. There is a, a full acknowledgement that I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. And so it's a clear acknowledgement and then a service and then a kindness. Not, uh, I don't know what you are, I don't know what, I don't wanna know what you are, everybody's the same, I don't yeah. wanna talk about it. You know, there, there's a clear acknowledgement in the scripture, the way Jesus tells the parable, uh, that there is a an understanding that we are stepping into difference here. And there was some, and there was animosity between Samaritans and the Jews, right? Yeah, I mean, they, the Jews would consider Samaritans a half-breed. They wouldn't even touch uh, mm. a, a pot or, or, or a clay tool, or else they would be considered unclean. And so there, there's quite, um, you could argue, a racial or ethnic animosity between the Jewish cultures uh, of that time and and the Samaritans, for sure. And I think, I think acknowledging that, it helps hold, it helps the power of the story because like even with this cultural issues, I'm mm -hmm. still stepping in to look after you. That's the good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, now thinking about this, it's kind of like this, this conversation is, is for me, it's, it's, it's inspiring to stop and maybe look within. Right. And, and also realize that, this Jesus thing, it's not just, it's not a New York thing. It's not a Manhattan, a Queens, a, um, a, a, definitely not a, just an American thing. I mean, this yeah. is like a worldwide thing. You know, um, I recently, it's a funny thing. I recently posted um, one of the videos that uh, Marty Solomon and I did. We had, a, uh, we had a great episode, right? And then once he reposted it, reposted i start getting these followers on instagram like these white followers from like the midwest and i'm like oh <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> like yeah like oh yeah yeah like, mm -hmm. faith is just like it does not look like one person yeah. you know and um that that's one of the, you know that's definitely one of the beautiful things that i like about manhattan is that it doesn't look like one person but that it also brings difficulty you know, like you could say diversity isn't. I remember one of the things people used to say is like, "No, we're di we're a diverse church," but just simply saying that still doesn't speak to some of the issues that are within. Yeah, yeah. I was I was on a panel recently about um, the future of faith, and mm -hmm. uh, one of the African American women said. Uh, we we might be a diverse church but are we an integrated church and it, it was a stunning comment um for many reasons but i really appreciate her courage to put that out there because we are still trying to figure out um 
how to appreciate the differences. Uh, Al and I talk about uh, unified diversity, right? Like mm. on face, there can be uh, this feeling of it's and it's an oxymoron, you know, either you're one or the other. Okay, so obviously we're beyond that. Now we learn how to celebrate the different parts of the body to honor the parts that that are typically treated um, with less respect. Uh, th there's so many scriptures that I think about with regards to the body of Christ that that I think have a direct relation to what we're talking about right now. So yeah, I I, th I think that's very relevant. Mm. All right. Well, I, I'm 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 gonna wrap up because you know I like to uh, you know you said an hour, but if I can get you out of here in 45. That makes me feel better about myself. Uh, <laughs> hey, I mean, we, we, you got questions on the docket we haven't got to yet, so I'm happy. I'm oh. happy to go all the way to five. Oh, okay, 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 cool, cool, cool. All right, good. What does progress? <laughs> I mean, you ask. I, I mean, <laughs> you know. All right. Um, all all right. right. Well, yeah. Well, hold on. Let me uh, let me let me phrase this question the way I would like to, since I got right. you. Okay. All right. I you touched on people coming back, right? And we're going to have to do that slowly. And we're going to have to check our egos and our judgment at the door. But what does realistic progress look like when we return? All right. Now, are we talking specifically about, about race in the church? Are we talking about, what are we talking about here? Ooh, let's go race. For, okay. for 800, Alex. Race for 800. <laughs> you are hilarious. All right. Um, I mean, I, I think I think what progress looks like uh, is one relationship at a time. And I, I'm not I'm not trying to cop out. I just I think what's important is um, I think it's difficult to measure uh, progress in the macro sense when you're dealing with culture. Culture is a huge ship to turn. Uh, but again, I think in localized ministries, you know, I was talking about this with someone recently. The New Testament is mostly written to churches, right? The church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, the church in Rome, or people uh, to uh, Timothy uh, or, you know, uh, different teachings, Titus, etc. You don't have what I might call global gospels. You, you don't. You don't have global epistles. You don't have this is to everybody. It's there's local and specific context that we follow through, especially the New Testament epistles. And so I, I think I can tend to have an allergy towards any kind of guidance that that says, well, what we do here, we need to do everywhere. All right. Mm. Except for the very core doctrines of what we believe. Right. So so I think in that way, I'd like to measure progress one relationship at a time and in the local ministry. I think progress might look different in the Queens area than in the Brooklyn area or in the Manhattan area, in New Jersey area. But I think if each part does its work and does what you're doing, which is let's have a conversation, then I think there's a lot of hope. Um, I, I think during COVID, one of the things I was thinking about is just shoring up some of the relationships that I had going in, but as I'm in quarantine, I'm spending so much time trying to just like help the people and be helped by the people that I'm closest with, that those that might've been more marginal relationships, I was forgetting. So I, I made like a list, like, okay, how how's this guy doing? I mean, how's he do? how's my neighbor doing? And I, I remember reaching out to a couple of my buddies that are on the NYPD, mm. and uh, one, of, one of them's white, one of them's black, 
And I, I met him both about 10 years ago. And here I am calling him in June, just like, how are you doing? You know, like, I, I mean, that, that was, that was a lot, you know, it was a lot. And so, so they were stretched thin. I mean, they were being asked to wear the same N95 mask for like two, three weeks. Um, so, so the first thing just had a very basic need was, all right, let's see if we can get some masks uh, for, oh. for my friends. And so I have a friend um, who was sourcing masks, uh, KN94s and 95s from Ireland and Germany. And basically we started working together. She's not, she's not in our fellowship of churches, but, but shares our faith. And so we started chatting. I told her about the needs of our nurses and our doctors and our fellowship, and then about the NYPD. And she would literally put boxes. I mean, there was such a run. You remember the run on masks, right? I mean, mm. even toilet paper. We were in like whatever, May and June. She would put a couple of boxes of, of, of N95s in the backseat of an Uber from Long Island by themselves and pay for them to come to my place on 25th and 9th. And I would go out to the Uber and grab these boxes. Nobody else in it, right? Just the driver and these boxes. And then there would be boxes of like peaches, peach boxes, banana boxes. I mean, she was hiding them because people wow. were grabbing masks. So I was getting thousands of masks and sourcing them and trying to figure out where. So we would give, you know, we gave a lot of masks to, to the NYPD and to hospitals. And we were finding ways to meet needs. And so that that became a, a relationship catalyst i think especially for my buddy who who's black and on the force and he actually started a podcast called black blue about his experiences as a black police officer he calls himself officer black and i thought okay this is a relationship that is so important to me i got to continue and so we we keep up for sure and i i think not that i'm the model but as everyone shores up and makes inventory of the relationships they have, to me, that's that in and of itself is progress. And then making the effort, making the phone call. What do you need? How can I help? What are you going through? You know, uh, our white brothers and sisters asking our black brothers and sisters, what what are you feeling right now as you process what's going on in the news and, and seeing these killings? And, and of course, there was this whole, there was fatigue, right? Some of our black brothers and sisters were saying, listen, I'm tired. I, I, I can't have this conversation again. I need a break. And we completely respect that. But I think those, one relationship at a time, to me, is progress. And, and I think that's the way it went down 2,000 years ago, too. You know, Jesus is a model for us in those small spaces with Martha, with Mary, with with the interactions, even with Pilate, all right, with with the the Roman centurion, sharing about how great his faith was, knowing this is a non-Jew, and mm. here Jesus as a as a uh, you know supposed rabbi walking around with a new interpretation of Torah, risking it all to talk about the faith of a non-Jew, right? So these are these are mm. interpersonal, empathetically driven, spiritual relationships that were developed jesus jesus gave us the model so that's what i'm working off of and trying to imitate that i definitely got a shout out to um a brother in our fellowship uh named joey zayas and joey uh, yeah you know i mean what an amazing family but you know i i remember um man I, i'm forgetting some of the details right now but but joey was like oh, during COVID, especially was hearing a lot of cases of false imprisonment and so there, there's, you could actually get a link 
And so I would watch some of these hearings, super emotional as this white, you know, presenting judge, Puerto Rican family, right? Um, but very light skinned is dealing with a lot of these darker skinned men who are coming and, and, and basically being exonerated, being free after 10, 15, 20 years serving a sentence for a crime they didn't commit. And I felt like, oh, that, that is progress on so many levels. Like yeah. the, not, not only the, the judges um, leveraging of his yeah. position to, to advocate for justice, but also the the Christianity of it mm. um, the, j- was just screaming out. So that that was really inspiring for me. So I get I guess we got to measure progress one relationship at a time, one conversation at a time. And if if we can keep having them, I think I think there's a lot of hope. Man, yeah, I'm glad we didn't cut off when we when I thought about it because <laughs> I would have missed all that. That is so inspiring, man. Like we can do so much if we just do what we can you know i remember Stephen aguayo on the podcast said just do like just run in your lane you know joey as a judge can leverage his christianity in that way you know a starbucks barista can leverage their faith and how they interact you know me as a nurse a burnt out nurse can leverage, you know, <laughs> I mean, I should be leveraging, you know, um, act, yeah. honestly, I, I haven't even told the story though, but um, one of our patients, you know, I had had a relationship with her when she came in, she's super sick, you know, oncology patient. And I, I got her, you know, I saw her after she got a transplant, she wasn't doing well. And I kind of followed up with her, even though she wasn't on my specific team. Um, and, you know, got to know the family. And she was a, a woman of faith, like, professed that thing. And we went through all the ups and downs, you know, where you think she's getting better and you get excited only to find out that this is coming crashing down. And um, we would pray together. You know, she even gave me some, like, uh, some spiritual books, right? And up until right at the end, uh, they told me she was likely going to go in a cut like soon. Mm. So I was like, and I was trying to avoid it, bro. I was like, mm. I don't want to, I'm not doing this to my heart, bro. I'm just going to mm. avoid it. I'm going to take care of these other patients. But a social worker came and said, yo, I'm about to head over to see her. So mm. I went and, um, you know, she was so excited to see me with the little energy she had. And um, she extended her hand. Like, all right, come hold my hand. Like, what do you think wow. you're doing? Like, wow. you know, so, um, and then I started praying with her. And then we started singing like hymns together, hmm. you know? Hmm. And it's like, she can barely talk, but she can still sing, hmm. you know? Um, and I thought, I didn't want to do this, but I guess this is what leveraging your faith looks like. Yeah. You, you know, if you're, in a place where you can do something, just like the early Christians, yeah. you do it, right? Um, and, and and the side note is the, the soul's dire need to sing. There's something mm. unique about that. And it's yeah. not song, it's, and it's classic hymns, it's old school. There's none of this new stuff, you know? Um, 
I, and I think, I don't know, that, that that's a separate conversation for a separate time, but there's yeah. something about the spirits need to sing. Um, yeah, so that you, you you definitely inspired me. I'm going back to work tomorrow. You know, I'm going to look at these patients and say, John said I got to love you. So no. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I gotta, I gotta say thank you to you, Ugo, and and all the frontliners, the nurses, the doctors, the administrators. You guys have been in it for so long, um, man. I, I remember some of the nurses coming off shifts and and just seeing the creases, uh, you know, digging into their skin from from wearing that 95 and the face shield all day. And uh, I just really applaud. Uh, your work, your heart, your service to our community, to our world. So you you make us proud in the church uh, as an extension of love to the world. Oh, amen, bro. Um, I want, I'm going to request you do something. And uh, I normally don't do this because I thought it was weird. But then I realized, yo, I'm a person who loves Jesus and loves God. And I would like for you to pray on this podcast. I, you know, I was trying to be cool. I was like, people don't pray on podcasts. That's not what we do. But this is what we do. Man, I got scared. You were like, I'm about to ask you something. I was like, what is he going to ask me to do? Like, oh my gosh. I, I was, I was, I remember I was speaking at our church in Indonesia and I was up in front of, I don't know, 2000 people and they, they passed me a soccer ball and they, they had heard that I played a little soccer and they're like, juggle for us. I had no idea. I'm in my dress shoes. I'm in my, I'm like, you, this is so unfair, right? You just, no <laughs> warning. But the Lord worked, man. I juggled it. I, I had, what? I don't know, maybe 10, 10, 12 touches. I was like, bat, bat, bat. Whoa. I was like, the, uh, it, it was a miracle. <laughs> what? Your, were your pants slim fit? They couldn't have been. Bro, I had the slim fit pants. I had the, <laughs> I had the Chelsea boot, bro. I was like, how is this? I'm going to kick this thing into the third row and someone's going to get injured. But, um, but I, I mean, prayer, absolutely. I, I would love to pray and, and very grateful to do so. All right, shall we? Yes, please. Our great God in heaven, uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Ha Olam, the beginning and the end. We're so grateful uh, to be in your midst, to be in your presence, to know that you're here, that you're part of this conversation that we are made in your image, uh, that Ugo and I and all of your creation stand in awe as image bearers uh, of you and your greatness. Thank you that we get to represent you. Thank you uh, that, that we're flawed and that we can see it clearly in one another and that we can see you and your son Jesus as the perfect example uh, of what we're all hoping to be. We thank you for him in these discussions when it comes to racism and the church and COVID and quarantine. Thank you that we have an example in him of how to have relationships, of how to love, on how to be color brave, on how to be willing to sacrifice and willing to show love to our neighbors, regardless of who that neighbor is and what they believe. Uh, thank you for Ugo. Thank you for this time. Please bless this podcast. And we ask that you'll continue uh, to spread your truth and your love in all channels, uh, every Roman road that we have. We pray we walk down with great humility and faith. We love you. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bro, thank you so much for doing